This is a often busy season, sometimes even chaotic. And so take just a moment to slow down and ask God to show you what he wants you to see this morning. Just silently ask him to show you what he has for you this morning. Lord, again, we thank you for this Advent season, this uh, time to look back at the birth of Jesus, to look ahead toward his second Advent, and to consider what difference it makes in our lives today. And so, Lord, open our ears, our, our hearts, our minds to what you would say to us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it, it strikes me that uh, longing for peace or pursuing peace is, is something that is pretty, pretty common uh, to humanity. Uh, beauty queens all say that what they want, what they want to work for is world peace. John Lennon said, uh, why can't we just give peace a chance? Um, I remember a, a book when our kids uh, were little, I think it was called Five Minutes Peace or something like that, about a mom who just wanted five minutes of peace in the bathtub. Um, and I think when we, when we talk about peace, most of us tend to view peace as maybe the absence of war or conflict uh, or for those young moms, the, the absence of, of noise and interruptions for if, even for a few minutes. Uh, many of you already know that the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Uh, it's a very common word in the Hebrew language. It's, in fact, uh, turned really into a greeting uh, when Jewish people uh, greet one another. What we might assume, though, is that the Hebrew word shalom carries with it the same kind of meaning that, that, that we use for the word peace, and, and it's really not. Um, Cornelius Plantinga has some really helpful words about shalom, and I've, I've shared these before, but I just think they're so great. He says, the Hebrew word for peace, that is shalom, means much more than the absence of conflict or the end of turmoil. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. And then his last sentence sums it up so well where he says, shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. That's really good. Uh, if, if you want to think about peace in those terms, it's a really good way to think about it. Uh, contemporary Jewish people uh, often define shalom in this way. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Which is also really, really beautiful. And it, and it gets to that wholeness of, of shalom, right? Uh, or peace that, that we long for. 
Our anchor text this morning is going to be Luke chapter 2, a very familiar passage for us, if, if for no other reason than, than Linus uh, in, in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Uh, it's on page 821 in the Bibles that the ushers handed out. I'm going to read through the whole passage, and then we're going to look a little more closely at what this story uh, has to do with our Advent theme today. So again, Luke 2, beginning at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole Roman Empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governor, governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to their own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David. He went to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough, because there was no room for them at the lodging place. In the same region, there were shepherds, staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today a Savior, who is Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of heaven's armies with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary kept all these things close, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Amen. Uh, my wife was saying, I wonder how many people there are that haven't actually heard that story anymore. And, it, and I think that number is growing. And I said to her, well, they're going to hear it this morning. So anyway, well, as we look at this theme of peace, um, this morning, I think it's really helpful and, and important for us to understand some of the context that this story I just read um, is, is, happens in, right? Uh, Caesar Augustus is the, is the first character introduced to us in this story. Who is he? Well, uh, Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Uh, he was the sole ruler of the Roman Empire, he attained that position through an incredibly bloody civil war where he annihilated all of his rivals. Mark Antony was one of those. Uh, under his rule, he had changed Rome from a republic to a global empire. 
and set himself up as its supreme ruler. This stuff starts sounding like Star Wars, kind of, right? He's the supreme ruler of the, of the Roman Empire. Augustus announced that he, Augustus, would be the one to bring justice and peace to the whole world. And then he went a step further and proclaimed that his adopted father, Julius, was a god. Which I suppose could just sound like he was trying to honor his elders. But um, if you think about it for a moment, uh, if his father is God, that makes him what? Son of God. And he actually had that minted on the coins. Augustus, son of God. Anyone else getting kind of creepy chills right now? Yeah, not a good guy. Uh, In regards to, to bringing peace and justice to the world, I suppose you could say in one sense he did it. Uh, Augustus ushered in what was uh, known and is known in history as Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Uh, It lasted for about 200 years. Um, But his definition, his version of peace was what we call imperial peace uh, or hegemony. Uh, hegemony is the, the political, economic, or, or moral, uh, or excuse me, military control uh, of one country or people by another country or people, or in this case, person. In reality, it's martial law. Uh, and everything is peaceful as long as you step in line with the supreme ruler. Step out of line, and you probably won't exist anymore, okay? Contrast that uh, peace with shalom, that, that deep sense that everything is as it should be, that there's nothing missing, there's nothing broken. You see, the, the peace of Augustus was this outward, manipulating, controlling of people. But shalom uh, comes from the inside out. It's, it's not imposed on us, but rather grows out of relationship with the God of peace, or as we will see in just a bit, the Prince of Peace, who is Jesus, right? So the, the story of the first advent is set in this context of a ruler who claimed to be a son of God, but wasn't. He claimed to bring peace and justice, but really only brought this manipulating pseudo-peace through terrorizing people. And it's into that context that Luke introduces us to a young, engaged couple, Joseph and Mary. What may seem like just a side note in verse 4, I think is really significant. I remember last week we talked a little bit about the shoot of Jesse that prophesied that Messiah would come from the line of David. Well, Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem because they are from the family line of David. And Bethlehem was David's home. So uh, Luke's readers, as, as they are reading this, are seeing uh, the fulfillment of 700 years of prophecy in the making. 
So after hundreds of years of oppression and strife, it's, it's happening. It's finally happening. Messiah, the Prince of Peace, is about to arrive. Okay? So anticipation, expectation is building. And then Luke introduces to us some shepherds. And um, Hallmark has, has helped us to sort of sanitize uh, these guys over the years. Um, they and their, and their cuddly, fluffy little sheep, right? That's not a very real picture of what was going on in the, in the first century. Shepherds in the first century were at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. In fact, some historians say they weren't even on the ladder. Um, if, if you're familiar with the caste system in India, it would be like the Dalit people. They're the lowest of the low, right? There was no climbing out of their lot in life. They're, they're marginalized nobodies who are sort of permanently on the island of misfit toys, to use another Christmas story, right? Uh, shepherds were considered to be essential workers uh, because the sheep on Bethlehem's hillsides were, were often sold to be sacrificed in the temple at Jerusalem. But shepherds were also despised because they were ceremonially unclean. They, they could never go to worship at the temple. So these guys aren't really religious in the sense of, of going to church or go, going to the temple, but they've most likely heard the stories of a promised Messiah, a, a good king who would establish a, a different kind of kingdom than the one they lived in now. Now, whether any of them actually believed that he would ever come, of course, we don't know. Uh, Maybe there was this tiny ember of hope deep down inside them that believed that Messiah, if he ever did come, might make a place for them in his kingdom, a place where they would be valued, uh, where they would, would have worth. But on the other hand, these stories may have just sounded more like a, a fairy tale to them, uh, a dream maybe that was just too good to be true. And I think part of what this part of the story says, the, the, the part of, about the shepherds, uh, and something we can take away about them is this, God loves the misfits. I don't know if any of you are feeling like a misfit this morning, uh, but God loves the misfits. Uh, God cares about the marginalized. Uh, These shepherds weren't on anyone else's radar, but they're on God's radar. Uh, There's there's no good enough with God. Uh, There's there's no privilege, there's no status with God. Uh, with, With him, it's a level playing field. Everyone is welcome, and I hope that everyone here and everyone listening this morning hears that. God loves you incredibly, right? So everything that that Luke has set up for us so far in this first advent is really dark. Uh, It's oppressive. It's hopeless. I don't think most of us, we're so accustomed to this story. We don't see that in the story. Uh, We have an oppressive ruler, an unwed pregnant girl and her fiancé. 
We have smelly shepherds with their sheep on a dark night. And then suddenly the dark night is lit up with an angel who appears in the midst of these smelly shepherds. And like nearly every angelic appearance in the, in the Bible, uh, these guys are terrified. Have you ever noticed that almost always when an angel shows up, the first words out of their mouth, do not be afraid. It's because these people are probably screaming. They are terrified, right? Pick up the story at verse 10. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Let's stop there for just a minute. Angel says he's got good news of great joy. Now, who's this news for? All the people. Even misfit shepherds. In fact, I I can't think of anyone who would be outside of all the people that the angel announces this good news to, right? So continuing on, he gives that good news. He says, today a Savior who is Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. City of David is Bethlehem again. You know, this is the only place in the Bible that these three titles for Jesus appear uh, together in, in one place. He's the Savior. He's the one who will save us from our sins. He's the Messiah, a king. That's what this word means, the anointed king who's going to rule a kingdom that is unlike any other kingdom the world has ever known. And he's the Lord. And what the angel is announcing here by calling him Lord is that God himself has become human. And the angel says, all this was done for you. This is good news for you. And I want to say this morning, not only the you of these shepherds, right? But for all people. This is really, really good news. The angel continues, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of heaven's armies with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Shalom to the people he favors. I think it's interesting. Uh, Verse 10, who is the, the message of good news for? We said it, all the people, right? Uh, Who is the peace or shalom for in verse 14? Those whom God favors. What's going on here? We have a contradiction here. Good news for all people, but peace only for those who God favors. I don't think it's a contradiction, and and here's why I think that. Um, Even though God's offer of peace goes out to all people, the reality is that only those who welcome Christ in and and trust him as their savior get to experience this kind of peace, this shalom that he brings. He wants all people to experience that kind of peace, but he's not going to be like a Roman emperor who forces his peace on everyone. 
As, as we already saw, that's not peace, that's hegemony, that's martial law. And that's not Jesus. Story continues, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, one another. Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Uh, Luke tells us that they found the family. Verse 20 tells us that Everything was exactly as they had been told. It was just as they had been told. These guys had had a pretty eventful night. A message from an angel, skies lighting up with a multitude of heaven's armies. I, I, I think of, I mean, the postcard, the, the Christmas cards, you know, the heavenly hosts. Uh, we, again, we kind of sanitize this, you know. It's like the angels with wings and they're singing, right? They're always singing. Except that's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say they were singing. It says they said, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. That a very little literal translation of this, this uh, multitude of the heavenly hosts is a multitude of heaven's armies. These are spiritual warriors announcing the coming of a king. It's powerful, powerful language. And, it could be a little scary to witness that, you know? So that's, that's what these shepherds have seen. They, they find the child exactly as they have been told they would find them. And then verse 17 says they talked about it to others. They, they gave the, the report to others. Um, I imagine these guys didn't have a lot of opportunity to talk to people who weren't shepherds. I'm, I'm just guessing there, but man, that night they did. They told about the good news for all people. They told about peace on earth that would come through this child. Verse 20 says, they were glorifying and praising God. This should sound familiar to us. This is the same word that described what the angels did. It's the same word that we looked at a few weeks ago when we were exploring how telling others God's name, telling others about who God is and what he has done is an expression of gratitude. Remember that? Back in November? The angels and the shepherds are are both telling others about what God has done. And and just as as another plug for this, if we are grateful for this incredible story of Christmas, we ought to be doing the same. I love what uh, verse 19 tells, about, tells us about Mary. Luke says that Mary kept all these things close, pondering them in her heart. Uh, I, I imagine that this is far more than the wonder most new mothers feel when, when they're looking at their newborn I imagine that as Mary listens to the shepherd's story of the angel announcement, her mind goes back nine months earlier to her own encounter with an angel. And as she's pondering all this, she's, she's still putting the pieces together. The word ponder here is, um, it's a conversation that she's having internally. Can you imagine what, 
what that was like, you know, hearing that first angel announcement, hearing from these shepherds what they heard, seeing this child, all of it coming together. There's a song that's, that's very popular this time of year, and I, I love the song. I've, I've sang the song. Uh, it, it's called Mary Did You Know? Right? And a lot of you love that song. Uh, the song sort of implies that Mary didn't know. She did. She, she most certainly did. Uh, her response to the angel announcement, we call it the Magnificat, shows that she did. This young Jewish girl knew the Hebrew scriptures. She knew the prophecies. She remembered her own angel encounter. And as she looks at this small child, somehow she knows that she's looking into the face of Israel's Messiah, the King. Finally, he's here. Finally, maybe she says, there will be shalom. Peace. So that's the, the wonderful story of the first advent. But if we're not careful, and we know this about ourselves, it becomes just a sweet story of a baby in a manger, right? And it gets, it gets taken out of context of the, of the bigger story of what God is doing. Sort of what Ben is, is taking uh, our, our students through as, as, as he, they see the whole arc of the story, right? Um, so we need to move to the second advent to, to look forward. What, what is still going to happen? And to help us do that, we're going to look to the prophet Isaiah. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, we have one of the great prophecies regarding Jesus. Uh, it's been captured in some of the greatest music that has ever been written. Uh, you, you will hear Handel's Messiah, I'm sure, in these words. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of hosts, again, the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. So on one hand, when we read these words, we understand that these are about Jesus, the Messiah. We, we've, we've heard that over and over this time of year, maybe for, for decades, some of us. But on the other hand, if we're honest, we might be asking, where is this peaceful government that Isaiah says will never end? Where's the, the fairness and the justice that was promised? I mean, after all, Augustus was replaced by far worse emperors who would actually attempt to obliterate God's people. Joseph and Mary, in the first part of the story that we looked at, is so sweet. We can forget that they became refugees. They had to flee to Egypt to escape Herod's bloody massacre of the children. And the shepherds, not much changed for them. They continued their 
existence as, as nobodies on the socioeconomic ladder. Maybe, if you're like me, you, you resonate with Longfellow's words from the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, uh, written during the Civil War. Important context. He says, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. We feel that way sometimes, right? Last week, I talked about the already but not yet aspect of God's kingdom. And so when we're talking about peace, shalom, The second advent asks us to look ahead to a day when Jesus, the Messiah, the King, will rule with shalom. The Prince of Peace will be a different kind of ruler for a different kind of a world, different kind of a kingdom, a kingdom where everything will be as it should be, where there truly will be nothing missing, there will be nothing broken, and... That kingdom will never end. He will rule for all eternity. And then at the end of verse 7, we have this message of hope where the prophet says, the passionate commitment or zeal of the Lord will make this happen. Remember, we talked last week about hope being different than wishing. This verse helps us Uh, to reinforce our confident expectation that this thing will in fact happen because the God who created the universe out of nothing, who led his people out of Egypt and fed them along the way with these cornflakes that fell from heaven called manna, right? The God who conquered the power of death by raising Jesus from the dead is passionately committed to seeing this peaceful kingdom happen. He will Do it. And so to review the first advent, the first coming of the Prince of Peace, he came to marginalized people who had been subjected to oppressive, even violent peace by an imposter son of God. We see in Isaiah a glimpse of the second advent that we all long for, I think, when the Prince of Peace finally returns to establish his kingdom of peace, his kingdom of shalom. Nothing is missing, nothing is broken. That's all great. And it really, really is. But what are we left with now? What are we left with in the present advent? This, This period of active waiting where we're supposed to stay attentive to the ways in which our Prince of Peace is coming into the stuff of our everyday lives, the the ways in which he is mending what is broken, filling in what is lacking. What does it look like for us in this Advent season to wait in peace while we wait for peace? Let that linger for a minute. What does it look like to wait in peace while we wait for the, for the full-blown peaceful kingdom, right? 
I think there are three things that, that can help us. Uh, we saw it last week when we looked at hope, and we see it again this week as we look at peace. Peace is a person. And that person is Jesus. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2.14, and he's speaking of Jesus, he is our peace. He doesn't say he can bring peace, which he can and will. But he says he himself is our peace. And so I want to say this morning to all of us that trusting in anything or anyone other than Jesus will result in a lack of peace, at least at some level. It will. Secondly, God's kingdom of peace or shalom advances just one heart at a time. The peace that the world offers is an externally manipulated pseudo-peace that tries to control uh, masses of people and circumstances to give just the appearance of peacefulness. The peace of Christ begins in the heart. And that's what leads us into this deep shalom. Colossians 3.15, Paul tells us to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is before his kingdom is, is fully realized. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Shalom begins here in the heart. This is where the broken pieces begin to be mended. This is where the emptiness is filled. So that in spite of all the other stuff that's going on in our world, nothing's missing in here. So as you move through this Advent season, invite Christ's uh, Christ's peace to rule in your heart. When bad stuff happens and and your go-to place is is worry? Anyone else do that? I do it. A lot of you do. Invite the peace of Christ to rule. Someone cuts you off in traffic and your your go-to response is a snarky comment that they can't hear? You know that, right? (laughs) They can't hear you. When that happens, invite the peace of Christ to rule. Um, Someone baits you on Facebook. Oh, and you've got the best snarky comment, right? Masterfully composed. Stop it. Friends, I've wrecked relationships by doing that. Stop. Take a beat. Invite the peace of Christ to rule in your heart. Or maybe there's somebody that you thought was a friend that hurts you deeply. And you want to lash out or maybe never speak to them again. Invite the peace of Christ to rule. And then do it again. And again, and again, eventually, I think you'll begin to notice 
that your heart is conforming to the image of Christ and his peaceful kingdom. So we said peace is a person. Uh, Peace starts in the heart. And and then thirdly, uh, I think what helps us wait in peace while we wait for peace is that peace is meant to be shared. The prophecy about the Prince of Peace originally came to people who had neglected their mission of bringing blessing to the nations around them. And as we've seen, God has always intended that his people would take the good news of his kingdom, his peaceful kingdom, to the people around them. So just like hope, peace is not something that we keep to ourselves. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Do you know there's there's a big difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper? I'm a peacekeeper by nature. Let's just get along, right? I hate conflict. My natural instinct is to turtle up, right? Go in my shell. But peacemaking is different. It's very different. It's interesting that Jesus used that word. Peacemaking steps out. It reaches out to the other, to the marginalized, to the hurt, to the angry, even to the enemy. Peacemaking looks for ways to to bless, to help. And it genuinely, and this takes work, but it genuinely says from the heart, may there be nothing broken or lacking in your life. You ever blessed an enemy that way? And then peacemaking goes beyond words and looks for tangible ways to bring peace into the chaos of others' lives. So while we wait for the return of King Jesus to bring the final restoration of ultimate shalom, we have to move obediently with his spirit to bring his shalom kingdom into our broken and needy world. The Apostle Paul challenges us to do this in Romans 12, and I'll close with this. Let me ask you to close your eyes and just listen to these words. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Do not conquer evil with evil, but conquer evil by doing good. We are going to... uh,